Hey, hey, hey. Uh, whenever I appear before the start of the music, you know, it's probably bad news. But this time it's good news. Only joking, it's bad news. Um, Flux's audio bodged up. So he's got, it's just up and down. The volume was all over the place. It went from sort of uh, ear blisteringly loud to really uh, ear strainingly quiet, I suppose. So I've done my best to level out the audio. I think it's, uh, you know, you can listen to it fine now. Um, but there's obviously bits that sound a bit weird and the background noise gets louder and quieter and, yeah, not the best quality, but um, his review is top quality, so make sure you listen to it all the way through. And, um, yeah, we've let's get started with the podcast. Cheers, guys. Get your head out of the clouds Get your feet back on the ground Get stuck into pop culture We'd stick around Hello there and welcome to Stick Around The podcast that just fought back a hostile takeover from Credit Suisse Sponsored by The Duke, the original Xbox controller and being rebooted now Built for the man with the large hands. In fact, it's the only Duke Donald Trump can't stand. <laughs> wow, um, that was a that was such a good controller, by the way. That was one of my all-time favourites. Big hands need big controllers. How is everyone today? Flux, we haven't heard from you. How are you? Yeah, very well, thank you, mate. Very well. Have you been? A, were you a big fan of the Duke? Uh, well, I didn't have an original Xbox, did I? I came in at 360 oh. stage, so wow. I only only briefly played with Climes when we uh, all lived at the lawns. Oh yeah, I I remember that now. Yeah, oh we used to have the. Uh, did I? I think I had one Duke and one normal sized, from what I remember. But <laughs> and uh, yeah, I'll never forget that epic Madden tournament where Tio was left wide open. Oh yeah, Dave. <laughs> Dave, Dave will never forget that. What we've never <laughs> we've never played Xbox. <laughs> Wasn't um, a hero by uh, Foo Fighters oh, playing in the back. Who knows? <laughs> who, who knows? <laughs> anyway, you're here for <sighs> Games Episode 28. Um, I'm your host for today, Alex Wayne. If I sound gruffer than normal, it's not because I'm suddenly harder. I've just got a really bad cold. Um, we're here with Games Expert Dave Peeling. Hello. Games Expert Clive Fisher. Ahoy, oh, hi. And Games Expert James Flux. Hello there, everyone. I mean, we are the kind of horrid podcast that makes the person with a flu host, so... Yeah, I mean, you know what? I think I could actually pinpoint, you know, the second I actually got this as well. I was on a bus, and somebody sneezed into the open air. Like, they didn't cover anything, and I was like, oh, that's going to come back at uh, me, isn't it? Insta-flu. <laughs> if it had been a film, it would have, like, zoomed in on one of the molecules and oh, yes, it went watched up it go my... through your nostril. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, um, without further ado, let's start down somewhere near Bolton. It's James Flux. Thank you very much, Al. Um, so the game I'm going to review today is Gwent, the Witcher card game. Uh, mm. Developed uh, by CD Projekt Red, probably best known as developers of The Witcher, um, and published by them as well, um, with a release date to be confirmed. Um, the public beta is currently open now for anyone that wants to download it for free. Um, I think it's due to be formally released at some point later this year. Um, as the title suggests, the game takes Gwent, the card game from the Witcher series, which is somewhat playable in The Witcher 3, um, and just makes that an entire focus of a game. Uh, if you want to go back and hear my Witcher 3 review, it's uh, in episode Games Episode 16, um, if anyone's interested. Um, the gameplay is similar to how Gwent is played in The Witcher 3, but it's somewhat further developed within this game. Um, the basic concept is that you get a hand of 10 cards drawn at the beginning of the match, um, which are made up of, sort of unit cards and spell or ability cards. The unit cards are played onto a table with three rows in front of you. Um, unlike within the Witcher 3 version of this game, um, you can within Gwent, the Witcher card game, you can play your unit within in any of those three rows. 
in The Witcher 3, they're defined by um, sort of fighting units, um, archers, and siege units, whereas within when The Witcher card game, you can play any unit into any of those three rows, um, depending on how it helps your tactical advantage. Um, it, once you play a unit into each row, um, that row's power increases, and the aim is for the aggregate power of your three rows to be greater than your opponent's aggregate power. Um, spell and ability cards usually boost or damage the unit cards on one side or the other, um, although some of them allow you to do other things like draw a specific card from your deck or um, play a card from your graveyard, reveal cards in your opponent's hand, that sort of thing. Um, it's of note that many of the uh, unit cards also have abilities within this game so that you can obviously use those as you play them um, to, to, to your tactical advantage as to what order you play those cards. Um, the games take place as a best of three rounds much like they did in The Witcher 3 um, with each player being able to decide when they want to stop playing cards in a given round so if they get ahead really early they can stop laying cards and force you to either play more of your cards to win but then that obviously gives them a much greater advantage in the later rounds um, when they've got more cards than you. Um, between the first and second round you draw an additional two cards and between the second and third round you draw an additional one so if you do run out of cards in your round you will get some more cards um, but again if your opponent has more cards than you it's pretty unlikely that you're going to be able to beat them unless, uh, unless you draw something pretty special out the bag. There is a lot more focus in Gwent the Witcher card game than there was in Gwent in the kind of powers of the units that you play and definitely the order of cards you play will make a difference as to how well you do. It's really sort of heavily tactically based I think much more so than it was within the Witcher 3. If in, I think in the Witcher 3 if you had better cards you would win pretty much every time unless something pretty drastic happened whereas in within Gwent the Witcher card game I think you could have better cards and still lose if you came up against someone better there's definitely more of a focus on the kind of tactical element playing cards at the right time using the abilities of cards in a complementary fashion um, and that's something that you definitely need to consider when playing this game um, and I think for that reason it is slightly harder than it is within the Witcher 3 and partly I think it's that you're playing a real opponent and therefore their ability to think tactically is probably better than it is in The Witcher 3 when you're just playing some AI who's following pretty basic rules. Um, but it's definite, you definitely need to try and think ahead and, and really consider what, what abilities you have that are complementary and what cards you might draw that might help you out later on and so on and so forth. Um, I mean, ultimately, it is, it is just a card game. Um, there is no kind of massive complex gameplay element or anything like that. It is very simply about using the cards in your hand to beat your opponent, much like any other sort of card game mapped to a computer system, albeit this happens to be a fictional card game mapped to a computer system rather than a real one. There is also quite a lot of focus within the game in terms of you developing your decks and getting new cards um, and so if you like that sort of thing and you're a bit of a nerd that wants to spend hours building decks, that, that facility is very much there for you. Um, you get cards through um, getting certain in-game currency units, which you get as experience rewards or rewards for beating opponents, that sort of thing. Um, and buying uh, barrels of cards, which someone explodes for you and they contain uh, five new cards for you. Um, and there's definitely time to be had if you're interested in kind of really focusing down on what's in your deck and what cards are available and what cards are complementary and how you can play. Um, there's several different modes. I've really only played the challenge modes where you play against an AI opponent and some casual matches against other um, online players. Um, there is matching between PC and Xbox but not from Xbox to PlayStation. So um, if you wanted to play cross-party, you, you can with friends on Steam if you've got the Xbox version, but not, unfortunately, with players on the, on the PlayStation. But it is free for both platforms, so you know, you, whilst you wouldn't have the same cards, you, you can always just download it for free on both platforms if you've got both. Um, 
ultimately I'm I'm really enjoying it at the moment. Like I say, it's it is it is just a card game that's been mapped to um a console and if you're not interested in that you're probably not going to enjoy the game. But if you like kind of trading card games, particularly I think if you used to play them as a kid and you have that nostalgia element. I know Clive reviewed um, the Pokemon trading card game, which was mapped online, I think, in episode 17, I think. Don't quote me on that. Um, but And th- there is definitely that sort of element, that if you used to play trading card games as a kid, there is definitely that kind of nostalgia element. Um, when you play The Witcher and going through the decks and working your cards and it definitely brings that definitely brings that back home to you. Um, so yeah, I'm really enjoying it at the moment. It's free, you know, so if if you, if you are in any way interested, I'd definitely download it now because I don't know if it will be free on release or not, whereas the public beta certainly is free, so get in there now. This, um, I remember playing the, the card game during Witcher 3. And I enjoyed it, but it felt like, you know, this is such a level of detail within a deta- already hugely detailed world. I didn't take the time to play it very much. Um, did you play this game a lot while you were playing uh, The Witcher 3? I mean, or the version of this, Flux? Um, I mean, I did and I didn't. M- much like you, it's it's very much a side quest to The Witcher 3. It's, I mean, there is, I think, one specific like side quest mission that's based around playing certain people within one town but it's really you come across certain people that can play it and you might I might play it with them but I certainly I rarely switched on the witcher thinking oh yeah I'm just going to run around and play Gwent that's not obviously that's not really the focus of the game and so yeah I played it a bit when there was the ability to play it to get some coin or um whatever was needed but it's not it's not like i uh, switched on and played hours of gwent that's certainly not the case and did um, i forget i'm pretty sure uh, that clive didn't but um dave did you play the witcher games at all no i didn't no, no okay no worries <clears throat> i did i did play three but didn't uh, ended up taking it back so i didn't really get into it but uh, <clears throat> i can see why loads of people like it though it mm. just wasn't my just wasn't my bag didn't you play a poke <clears throat> a Pokemon online card game, Clive. Am I making that? Yes, up? I did. Just like uh, Flux. No, no, Flux mentioned that. I did. Yeah. yeah, and I really like that. Actually, yeah, it was cool. I, I think it's um, a good way to play card games, though. like because a you can you know find someone to play against instantly, which with an actual card game is difficult, <laughs> and uh, it's a bit easier to you know you can play sat in bed, which you can't if there's shit tons of cards everywhere on a table. <laughs> so, and you, you can get if if you you know wanting to get better at a game like I was with Pokemon trading card game it's a good way to practice because it is basically the sa- it's exactly the same it's just made a bit more convenient to practice quickly so it's good and you can like it's way less like the game was free and you didn't have to pay for any of the cards which is cool so it's a lot cheaper as well yeah it can cost a small fortune building up that kind it of it does absolutely <laughs> okay so we'll go back to Sheffield next where Clive is going to talk about an all time classic game Wow, it's as if you read my mind and knew what I was going to say. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, yes, I'm going to talk about Shadow of the Colossus on PS4, so the remake. Um, Shadow of the Colossus is an action-adventure game developed by Bluepoint Games and published by Sony for the PlayStation 4. It's a remake of the original game on the PlayStation 2 in 2006, which I haven't played, but I know, uh, Al, you have. Uh-huh. And uh, I don't know, Dave and Flux, have you played it? No. I haven't made no. no. Okay, cool. Um, so the remake was led by Bluepoint. They generally just do remakes. That's their thing. Um, who also did the PlayStation 3 remaster, again, which I didn't play. The developers, the difference with this remake, it's not a like HDFI'd original game. It's They've made everything from the ground up, but in a way that makes it basically the same as the original game, just look a lot better from what I've heard. Like I say, I haven't played the two, PlayStation 2 version, so I don't know. But um, it, rather than just HDing all the... Uh, Art assets and things, they've um, built everything again from the ground up. In Shadow of the Colossus, you play as Wanda, a boy who's gone to a forbidden place with the promise there's a way to resurrect his uh, girlfriend, wife, it's not made clear who it is, could be sister, who knows, um, there. Uh, to do this, he has to kill a bunch of colossi, that's what I'm going with for the plural, don't know if I'm right or wrong there, uh, which are huge beasts that live in this forbidden place. Um, the first thing you'll notice when booting this bad boy up is how amazing it looks. Um, it just absolutely stunning. You get out in the world and it's look, it just looks absolutely lush. Like the greens are fantastic. The cliffs, everything's got so much detail. 
It did. Um, <clears throat> the detail did go drop a little bit when you get into dark areas, which made me want to buy a PS4 Pro because uh, apparently that's one of the things that HDR does, high dynamic, whatever it's called. It does those deals with those dark areas better. But um, and I can imagine this is the type of game that where it would pay off having it in 4K if you've got a 4K TV. But I don't, um, and it still looks fantastic on a on a standard 1080p Stone Age. TV, so yeah, really, really. That's the first impression it'll make on it. It looks absolutely fantastic. One of the best looking games I've played for sure. Um, gameplay wise, it's find monster, kill monster, end up back in temple, find next monster, kill it, end up back in temple, uh, rinse and repeat. Basically, that <laughs> the order is set of the monsters, so it's not like you can do them in any order. It's you kill one and then you have to go to the next one, and you kind of led there by your sword. Kind of lights up if you go in the right way, um, which is kind of an interesting way to just guide you to the right part it's still quite tricky to find some of them despite this what seems like it would make it really easy to find them but sometimes it's like well it says it's somewhere around here but (laughs) i don't understand where um so that's one of the sort of elements of the gameplay trying to actually find the colossi um but the the main part of the gameplay is obviously the actual battles which are what makes this game so great and memorable um there's nothing like climbing up the back of a huge monster while it shakes you off tries to shake you off um the sense of scale in the fights is really really fantastic and uh like a sort of palpable sense of peril that i know al always goes on in films that's definitely on here and the bosses are all kind of their own puzzle in a way and you have to work out how to defeat them it's not just oh i've got to level up my character which you can't really do it's not really rpg you can via some collectibles get a bit more health and stuff but it's not um you know one of the main sort of mechanics in the game it's more about Figure it, and I never got one of those upgrades and still managed to finish it. So it's all about just working out the puzzle of how to beat this colossi, which usually boils down to finding its weak points and um, stabbing them. But it's how you get to those weak points that makes it interesting. For an example, would be, and this isn't one in the actual game as far as I know, but would be something like um, getting a coloss, you know, running near a running near a pillar and getting the colossi to knock over that pillar, which then means you can jump on his back, whereas before you couldn't. And um, would be a simple example of a, <laughs> of a puzzle and that just made, makes each of the battles really interesting and while you're trying to figure this out obviously you've got this huge beast trying to kill you so it makes the the whole thing quite intense <laughs> which um, I really enjoyed I thought the battles were fantastic and um, the world itself is I've already mentioned looks absolutely beautiful but almost completely empty you'll never run into any other enemies except the colossi and apart from a few collectibles and save points there isn't really much to interact with in the world itself which I liked that's been a criticism by some people and a positive from others which just shows you how you know some the things that some people don't like other people will like there's no objective way to say this game is great uh, even though some people seem to think <laughs> that's the case um i like this about it i thought it gave it that kind of calm before or after the storm whichever way you want to look at it in between beating the colossi you're quite quite meditative um you know going through on your horse through this beautiful world when you know you can just hear the birds and you, you don't really feel under threat i thought that was a really interesting way to deal with the in between battle stages and it made you think a bit more about the themes of the game which it never makes it feel um i think i liked it, it never makes it feel massively satisfying killing one of these monsters it's always a really feels like a sort of cataclysmic kind of sad event every time you kill one and i really appreciated that about it it wasn't like yeah go out kill monsters it's great it was kind of uh emphasised very much the sadness of what this, the, the kid was doing just to resurrect his uh, his wife or girlfriend. I know um, so so far it's all positive, um, what I've said, and I absolutely love this game. It's a favourite that's come out in 2018 so far. I've not played that many yet, but it'll. I'd be surprised if it doesn't make my, you know, released in 2018 top five. But there's one gripe that really 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 bugs me in this game and that's the camera i mean ah it just made me want to scream my head off various times it's so bloody annoying it's like it's the most annoying camera in recent memory for me it's got this insistence on being cinematic rather than practical constantly and although you can move it with the right stick it will slowly creep back into its original position which is so infuriating it's unbelievable and while riding aggro that's your horse it will often insist on having you and the horse sort of in the bottom corner of the screen to create which looks beautiful yeah great and you know creates this really cinematic shot which might be on a film but i'm not watching a bloody film i'm trying to figure out where the hell i'm going and if you want to go left and your horse is in the bottom left and you can't see anything on the left it's incredibly annoying (laughs) 
and I'm just and then every time you move the camera to the left, it moves back to the right really slowly in a way that as if someone's almost playing with you, just trying to piss you off. That's what it feels like, <laughs> and it oh, it was so infuriating. It annoyed me so much. So you could actually, if you hold the right stick in a certain position, it will the camera will stay there, but you've got to like hold it there. It's so ridiculous. And I'm playing um like Horizon Zero Dawn at the minute, which is great, and. Zelda's the same. You can move the camera wherever you want. When you move it, it's going to stay there. And that's just, you know, that's what you need in a game because you need to see where the hell you're going. And occasionally you might want to look around. And this game just takes that away from you. Just It has this stunning open world and it makes creates these great cinematic shots for you. But for me, that's something that should be reduced to either a cutscene or... Um, one of the, you know, the photo mode, fair enough, have the photo mode do that for you <laughs> to make to, to make a great shot. But when I'm playing the game, I want to play the game. It doesn't make the game any less pretty because I've got a practical camera angle where I can actually see where I'm going. Um, I just didn't understand that choice. And I think it's obviously something that they've kept in from the original, which I totally understand. And I think if it was in the original, keep it there. But give us the option, you know, in the menu, put um, useful or not useful camera mode. Uh, let, <laughs> if people want to have the cinematic one, go for it. But I've not heard uh, some lot, not some reviewers have griped about it, but not that many, which surprised me because I found it incredibly annoying. And I think it's probably you didn't like the camera something. in Last Guardian either, did you? Um, I haven't played enough of it yet. I'm sure it's a bit. It's from what I remember, it's a bit better than that. But yeah, it's, it's less. But it's not as bad as that. Yeah, I think um, in the battles it didn't bother me as much because you can focus it on the on the big. You know, the big Colossus. <laughs> mm. Struggling with my plurals and singulars here. Yeah, and it's just, that's fine, and it's usually all right. And when you're climbing it, it's usually fine because you don't really need to look around anyway. And it kind of almost helps it to be cinematic in that sense because what you're doing is quite linear, if you know what I mean. You're just mm. climbing up a monster. It doesn't matter if the camera is cinematic in that sense, and it helps to build some build up the event, I suppose. But in the, when you're going from one place to another in an open world, I just don't think it makes any sense. And I think... That's the one thing that really held it back for me. Besides the camera, though, it's aged extremely well, Like considering they've changed very little. Apparently they've changed some of the controls. The control scheme felt, felt good to me. That You know, a little bit clunky at times, but I think that's just from the, you know, held over from the original. It is a PS2 game. That's quite old. But generally it felt satisfying, and the control scheme wasn't uh, particularly hard to get used to. I really, yeah, I, I love this game. It's got a really dark story. It's um, open to... Lots of interpretation. I've read loads of interesting interpretations of it, which is always interesting. And it's just a really like memorable experience to play. Just prepare yourself to get annoyed at the camera because it's goddamn. <laughs> and it's yeah, it's. I just wish there was another mode um, that made that less annoying because it did. Every, every in between all the beasts, I was getting infuriated because of it, and it was such a shame because, like I say, it could have. It should have been that sort of calming period of. Right now, I'm riding to the next one, and it never was because I just kept. I was just constantly fighting this camera. But that, yeah, other than that, absolutely love the game. I think it's brilliant, and it's a really like original thing that I think even now there's not much been made like it. There's quite a few parallels with Breath of the Wild in was... its kind of more em- more empty world, definitely. And I think that's something that uh, makes Breath of the Wild so great, that it does feel meditative, and it's not there's not constant icons on the map and things to do, and that's definitely something that's carried over here. But yeah, really good game. Al, um, I assume yeah. you loved it. Yeah, yes, I did. Uh, first of all, I was about to make the exact same point you made about Breath of the Wild. In fact, in Breath of the Wild, you can, I mean, you can see clear influence uh, in the mm-hmm. sense that you have to beat four huge beasts in Breath of the Wild as part of the game. Is I mean, it's 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 not derivative, but it's clearly massively influenced. Um, this is one of my favorite games on the PlayStation. Probably, you know, one of my favorite games of all time. Um, I never played the predecessor, Eco. Did you ever play that? No, I haven't. I want to. I'm probably going to wait. I assume they're going to do a remaster at some point, so I'll probably play it then. Mm. Yeah, I think... I was wanting to play this, and then I just... It, in fact, it was very close to when the remaster got announced. I nearly bought the PS3, because um, I think you can play it on PS4. I could be incorrect there. Um, the HD remaster, but I didn't. Once I heard this, I was going to wait for this, and I'm glad I did because it does look fantastic. And I think it, I think a lot of it is the spectacle. So I imagine if you played an older version where it doesn't look fantastic, that'll probably take a lot away from it. Mm. I mean, I I really liked the sequel as well, there, The Last Guardian. Um, again, it had its issues, but it was really, really charming. And I think these games have a sense of um, magic realism that really is not like nothing else you'll play. Uh, maybe Zelda has the same kind of. Um, spirit if you like but you know 
aside from that, there aren't many games like these. Um, mm, did, yeah, I can agree. I don't believe Dave played any of these, but maybe he'll tell me I'm wrong. Did you play no, any of these at all? I've not, no. no. Flux? No, afraid not, mate, but sounds intriguing, no. certainly. Uh, yeah, I mean, you have to be into that kind of game, I would say. I think some people would probably find the um, almost like uh, romanticism of it a little bit irritating at times, uh, but not me. Uh, but I, I just know of people who can't get get along with them. Um, but yeah, I, how how much did this cost, Clive? Um, it was, I got it for, I believe, £22 or something on, on release, so I imagine it's probably even cheaper now. It, was, it wasn't released at like full price because of it being a remaster, which I thought was um, mm. pretty good because, like I say, it has been made again from the ground up. It's not as if they've done <laughs> a quick job on it, uh, so it's probably taken just as long as, uh, I suppose they haven't had the design el- element of the game because that was already there for them, but mm. they did have to rebuild everything, so... Yeah, I thought that was pretty reasonable of them to release it at that kind of price, yeah. and it's def- definitely worth it. Yeah, I would say about the £20 mark is about perfect. Um, yeah, it's about a six or eight hour. I think it took me about seven hours. But, you know, if you did more of the collectible stuff, you could easily probably get about ten out of it. Cool. And that's uh, perfect for it. Excellent. Well, from one classic game to... Mm, I'm going to use my tele- telepathy now. Um... <laughs> I think Dave's going to talk about a non-classic game. I might be wrong. Dave, go ahead. <laughs> uh, right, okay. I mean, the proportion of classic to non-classic games certainly probably puts the in, odds in your favour. In my favour, yeah, yeah, definitely. That guess goes. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to talk about um, probably the, the greatest game ever produced. Um, <laughs> Assassin's Creed Origins. <laughs> it's the greatest game ever produced um, okay so uh, Assassin's Creed Origins is the latest I think the 10th instalment in the Assassin's Creed series and the technical successor to um, 2015's Assassin's Creed Syndicate the game is set in ancient Egypt near the end of the Ptolemaic period so um, kind of uh, 49 BC, and um, it it, de- it it works in the period of um, Roman occupation of parts of Egypt at a time when um, the Greek and Egyptian thrones were somewhat uh, entwined uh, around the period of Julius Caesar, Cleopatra, who both appear as characters in the game. It's uh, a similar game to to other to other, to the other Assassin's Creed um, to other Assassin's Creed games. First one came out ten years ago now. The original Assassin's Creed and was set in the period of the Crusades. There were then um, three known as the Ezio trilogy: Assassin's Creed two, and then two more that had names, and they were set in Renaissance Italy. A uh, a third one was released, set in well, Assassin's Creed three even, so the fifth one was released uh, set in revolutionary colonial America and a few years back there was Assassin's Creed 4 4 Black Flag uh, which for my money it was the best of the Assassin's Creed games to date. After Black Flag Ubisoft continued to release Assassin's Creed games on an annual basis leading to three whose names I don't remember and I didn't play. Rogue, Unity, and Syndicate, uh, with each with each one of those completely unmemorable games, as far as I'm concerned, numbers of uh, players dropped quite precipitously, and the launch of Syndicate was was almost a non-event. At this point, Ubisoft decided they were going to scrap the annual release of games, and they kind of went back to those games that had worked well for them before and Assassin's Creed Origins set in ancient Egypt used a lot of the development team from Assassin's Creed Black Flag uh, which was the um, pirate ship basically version of the game set around um, the Caribbean at the height of the golden age of piracy so this game sees you play, so to just to catch you back up then so this game sees you play as uh, Bayek Bayek is a Magi in ancient Egypt, Magis being a kind of nationwide police force, um, almost kind of a, 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 
an elite kind of spy kind of type character from from ancient Egypt, whose young son is, uh, dies in front of his eyes, and he links up with his wife to um, take revenge on the Order of Ancients, who are a secret, shadowy kind of pre-Illuminati type uh, group who control control the area now known as Egypt and Libya. The game has a lot of the kind of uh, lot of the kind of features of the the earlier ones. It's uh, it's an open world. There's uh, a lot of handheld a lot of sorry yeah handheld combat that takes place as you as you defeat the uh, the order of ancients across across the kingdom with a focus on both the third player third third person sorry um fighting mechanics but also uh, a, a big focus on stealth mechanics as well the game is a something of an evolution from the earlier versions of the game it puts much less of a focus on the kind of uh, crafting and uh, in some instances of the game city building that went on in, in earlier versions and takes you back to the kind of core mechanics the core kind of fighting and helping uh, free the people of Egypt the game looks absolutely stunning it is one of the most beautiful games I've I, I've seen the, the the whole of Egypt is open world and you can see from the lighthouse of Alexandria to the pyramids of Giza all down the Nile, which can be, which is navigable by boat by you, uh, its entire length. You can stand on the top of the Pyramid of Giza. You can see the Mediterranean coast. You can slide down the pyramid, get on your horse, and ride all the way to the Mediterranean. And the whole game is there in between. The towns and the villages that you come across are always bustling and interesting. There is always stuff going on. There's lots of interactive features and capabilities, but equally you can just get lost in the desert. In the in, go and go and get lost uh, in a desert. Um, your character can uh, be affected by by the by the heat in the desert, um, by the cold at night. There's um, lots of interacting with the environment here. As part of um, the the mechanics for taking over various different parts of the country as you, as you free it from Ptolemy's reign. Done away with was the original eagle vision of the original games, which allowed you to kind of scan areas and highlight enemies and allies. But that is replaced with Senu, who is Bayek's actual eagle, which you can use to scout areas ahead and tag things that you're interested in finding but alternatively, if you want to kind of go with a, a more a more on your own kind of stealth mechanic, there's no there's no compulsion to use that. And in some ways, the Senu's eagle vision kind of can perhaps make some areas a little bit straightforward. You can you can see who's who's um, who's going to be where where they're moving, uh, what their weaknesses are, uh, quite straightforwardly when assessing a, a large castle. But as I say, there's no compulsion to use it. Game features a wide range of weaponries and up, weaponry and upgrades and things like that. If you're the type of person who likes 100, you know, 100%ing a game, there's lots of side bits and pieces to this. There is the ability to go and hunt uh, lions and goats and things and take their take the materials that you you then gather from them to upgrade weaponry. But I found that if you don't bother with that, it doesn't massively affect gameplay that there are uh changes to the way your character looks that come about with those with doing that kind of collecting but not doing it doesn't put you at such a massive disadvantage that it is something that you're forced to do in order to complete the game which has been a feature of some of the earlier iterations you can just progress through the main story and broadly speaking not complete too much of the side missions there's a leveling up element to the game. You start off start off at level one. The the each enemy that you come across is similarly as you clear parts of the game. The enemies you come across in different areas will be at different levels, so you have to match up to them. Now, some of that leveling up comes with the main storyline. In fact, the vast majority of the XP you game is from completing main storyline missions, but you will have to gain some through uh, completing some of the other activities. 
Now that could be the hunting and and leveling up your weapons, as I say, but equally it's the side missions that are related to the kind of missions in the in the main story. Um, as you go and help friends, family, and, and and local villages in areas that you've come across, one one of the more interesting features of this is the the amount of work that has gone on with Egyptologists to make this look like how people imagine uh, that period looked like. There's lots of interesting interactions that are going on between the the local Egyptians, the Greeks that have been there for a while now as an occupation force, and the Romans who are arriving to try and claim it as part of their empire, and the subtleties in the way diff- those different stories work and and um, the relationships that kind of come across in a dialogue as you're talking to people are all really fascinating to me and add a add a add an extra level to this game. You can um, there is a, a discover the discovery mode where you can turn off all the gameplay elements of the game. There are no stories, there are no enemies, uh, but all the all the uh, other locals are are there, and you can tour Egypt and uh, the Sinai Peninsula with um, with little videos and and narration from Egyptologists to tell you what it is you're looking at. Um, so you can go and explore the Valley of the Kings and the Giza pyramids and tombs, and you can go and see ancient Alexandria and Cyrene on the Mediterranean coast and down through Libya and have an idea what it is, you know, where historians were coming from when they thought this is where a thing was based on historical documentation or things that are still there now. This game has gone right back to the Assassin's Creed roots. I really enjoyed the first ever one. I quite enjoyed Assassin's Creed 2 and then I felt like it lost its way for a long time until Assassin's Creed Black Flag, uh, which was up until now, my favourite game of the series. Uh, Assassin's Creed Origins has taken all the spirit of the original game, removing all the kind of advancement into the modern era, taking you right back to uh, a time of... to the kind of original kind of spirit of the game, removing elements like uh, firearms and and modern vehicles that you got up to with some of the more recent iterations but taking you right back to kind of swords and bow and arrows and uh, jumping and parkouring across uh, a landscape and a city to assassinate uh, uh, an evildoer in the local area and whilst it has evolved out of that original game to be a much bigger a much broader a much more beautiful a much more visceral kind of uh, appearance this game has captured the spirit of the original much, much better than than seven or eight of the ones that have come since then. So I was very dispirited with the Assassin's Creed um, franchise, and as I say, I don't think I played three or four of the la- the last ones since Black Flag. This, though, I, 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 I did not get it when it first came out in um, in autumn last year, November, sorry, October 2017. And I let it play out. The reviews were fantastic, and I have to say I have not been let down. It's a absolutely tremendous game. I've played 35, 40 hours of it because I am kind of in the in a hundred percenting kind of mode now, with still lots of the main story to play. I think you could play through the main story only in less than half of that amount of time. But there is so much here for you to do none of it feels like you have to do it either so it makes it much more pleasurable than a chore so yeah so that's assassin's creed origins excellent um this is going to bear relation to what i'm going to talk about briefly next of all but um i have only played the original assassin's creed and there's been about what 28 games since then um (laughs) how, how does this rank in the pantheon of assassin's creed games Oh, as I said in my review, it's my favourite. Oh, yeah, I, I missed that bit. Sorry, I do apologise. Yeah, so, uh, so Black Flag came just before this, and in my kind of in my preference, and there are a whole bunch of of ones in between that I do not give a flying toss about. Right, <laughs> fair <laughs> enough. Clive, I don't believe you've played many of these games. From what I understand, um, it's one of those franchises I've never got into. No, I tried. I can't remember one or two. Some something early on. My brother was really into it, and I never quite got into it. And then I, everyone raved about Black Flag, and I was like, I love, pi- I love pirates. So I got that when it was about five quid. Um, I don't know. I gave it like three or four hours, and never got into that either. I just, I don't know. There was too many missions of me following someone around uh, for ages. 
and then I don't know I just got bored of it I maybe I need to give it another go so but I am intrigued because I love Egypt uh, my favorite of the ancient peoples uh, so. <laughs> <laughs> so I do want to give this a try but I'm hesitant to buy it for very much basically because I'm worried I'm going to bounce off it like I have the rest um, I totally understand why loads of people love it though I think it's just you know it's just a personal preference thing um, it is obviously you know, Black Flag was it was very well made. I just didn't it didn't do any of the things I liked as much. I didn't find any any of it tick my boxes as such or, you know, was really what I was after. Whereas and often with open world games I think I have a bit of a higher bar because I know it's gonna take fucking ages. So I've got to kind of love it to carry on with it, if you know what I mean. Mm. Um where I'm playing Horizon Zero Dawn at the minute, which is a long open world game and I'm absolutely loving that, carrying on with that. But sometimes it uh takes a lot for me to A, buy them in the first place because I'm like, this is going to take really long and I could be playing five or six other games in the same time. Um, <laughs> and then once I actually get it, it takes a bit of... Yeah, I sometimes bounce off them. But yeah, Horizon does it really... I think it ha- I have to be really, really into the world. So maybe this Egypt thing would... And, and the main character, I think. So it yeah. sounds like he's pretty engaging in this one and the world sounds really good. So, uh, yeah, so the, maybe need to give it a shot. On the main characters, what I, have, what I haven't mentioned is that... Um, the, so uh, Bayek is the guy that you play as for the vast majority of the time, but you also play sequences as his wife, Aya, uh, and that's the first kind of playable female character since... Um, well, there was one in Syndicate, I think, you kind of played as twins, but... Yeah, she's. They, they both have a lot of emotional depth, and they're both very interesting characters. There were a lot of kind of stalk people around missions in other black, in other Assassin's Creeds. Clive, I've not come across that one in this one. It's it feels a bit more freewheeling oh, that's than, really than, good. than previous ones. Um, I like I said, I, I really enjoy it. I know that you know you have a different kind of feeling on this uh, the the this franchise of games. So I'm not going to scream at you to go get it but uh yeah the the it the 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 world of egypt looks really beautiful in this i mean i'm hearing loads of people say it's um you know it's got back on track and people assassin's creed fans saying they didn't like there's, there's a few like those games in the middle that you're mentioning um but me- most people are saying that this is a real kind of return to form which is really good and i think it's done them well because it this is the first time they've taken a year off isn't it didn't they have a, a gap of a year not releasing one for the first time in like six years and i think that's probably part of the reason this one's come out so well they've really polished it and given it time yeah i think it might be slightly yeah uh oh yeah it was a two-year gap from from the one before that yeah i think they, they're now making that the general thing whereas it was before like yearly which so i think the team seems sensible the team that worked on black flag which came out in um uh, 2013 then immediately started yeah. on this origin mm. so Black Flag was is definitely a high point of the franchise. Then they had other teams working on these other ones, just churning them out every mm. year, and they added nothing. And all the new kind of features that they thought they were adding totally detracted from the original spirit of the game. And I think yeah. this one's definitely returned to to that spirit. Awesome. Cool. That's really good. It's, I think it's a similar thing to Call of Duty, isn't it? They've got like two studios working simultaneously, and that's how they managed to get... <laughs> So many, so many out, yeah. Um, I, I but like, yeah, I think they're slowing it down, which sounds good. I like to think of the Assassin's Creed games as kind of like the Marvel Cinematic Universe of the games world. You know, like they're all kind of solidly made. You know, high cinema, high cinema, high action uh, games or films in the case of the Marvel, but never breaking that many boundaries. Is that fair to say, or are they a little bit better than that? Uh, I think the first one. I mean, yeah, that's probably. Yeah, it's it's a very well done uh, stealth em up, um, and with a kind of open world. That, yeah, so I don't I don't know that there are many of the features that are totally unique and you can't get anywhere else. They are refinements on a on, on things that you can do with other games. The hidden blade and those kind of assassinations that come off that are are kind of this game's USP, but not so different from what you can do in other uh, in other fighter ups it's just it's um it's a it's a weird combination of uh interesting history and doc uh, kind of an a way to explore civilizations and understand and get interested in a, an era 
combined with open world conquest type gameplay and small level stealth them up. So it's a combination of things that you get in lots of different games separately, but this, these bring together. Excellent. Um, Flux, are you, are you an Assassin's Creed fan? Um, yeah, I, I Sorry, much flat. like Dave, I... Flat, yeah, <laughs> I no. That's what I said as well. <laughs> yeah, no, I think uh, that's the... Uh, the slow uh, collection of gunge in the back of my throat is now affecting the way I can talk. I thought it was someone who's like a fan, but only since Black Flag. Uh, you could call them an Assassin's Creed I mean, I was, I was willing to let it go, mate. But that's, uh, <laughs> Never let it go. Um, yeah, I kind of like Dave. I really enjoyed the first one. I, quite, I think I maybe rate the Ezio ones slightly higher than Dave as well. And that towards the end of the series as of late it is tripped off and my custom has been lost but um i was quite intrigued by uh, maybe a bit like dave i was quite intrigued by this one but equally i wasn't prepared to go out and buy it on release because my expectations were low and i was effectively going to ride it out and see how well it got on so the fact that dave's enjoyed it and so it's returned to form means that i will possibly pick it up at a later date and and give it a go and try and get back into the series Cool. Um, I'm going to have a very brief segue here and do a the world's smallest film review. Um, now, first <laughs> okay. of all, I'm going to mention it's um, it's the Tomb Raider film that you may have seen I recently it came be. out. It's based almost entirely on the original reboot from 2013 that I believe Dave reviewed for the pod. Is that right, Dave, or did you review the second one? I think you might have reviewed the second one. Uh, I think we talked about both on this other podcast. Yeah, Yeah. we've definitely talked about both. I might have reviewed the first one, I can't remember. I think this is the perfect example uh, of a a game being adapted well for the cinema, uh, but only really as far as it can go. So the reason I thought this was a segue is because last year there was an Assassin's Creed um, film that came out uh, with Michael Fassbender. uh, Yeah. Marion Cotillard, a great cast, wasn't that great. Um, This kind of falls down the same hole in the sense that uh, the plot of the original uh, Tomb Raider reboot is one that, for a game at least, was very, very sturdy, very cinematic, but really loses focus in the actual film adaptation. Um, The best thing I can say about it is that it quite admirably doesn't objectify Lara at all in this film. And Alicia Vikander is really good um, but it really pains me to say that Dominic West, who I'm a fan of from The Wire, is utterly dreadful in this. Um, have you ever heard, it's it's like the director said to him, you know, Dominic West, a British person with a posh accent. It's like the director said to him, I want you to do an impression of an American doing an impression of a British accent. And that's his entire <laughs> performance, which is absolutely dreadful. I just thought, the thing is, it's, it's not a bad film. Um, but I thought it really underlined the point that a plot in a game where you're actually interacting in it yourself is totally different to the plot of a film. And what would have been an exciting, uh, you know, set piece in a game <clears throat> just comes across as a bit hackneyed on the screen. Uh, so I was going to use this point to ask you, what is your favourite computer game film? Um, well, I don't know if this counts, but definitely Wreck It Ralph. Yeah, I was going to say the same. Uh, I, I'm, I'm wanting more of a, an adaptation of an original oh, game, boo. if possible. I don't know if there is one then. I think I know what the worst one is. Probably the Super Mario Bros. movie. Uh, the <laughs> you see, I haven't seen it. I've heard it's terrible. There's actually a really, really good article in uh, The Guardian at the minute, which is about how they made that film, which I really recommend everyone goes and reads. Uh, they ended up using some um, steampunk directors who'd never directed a film before, which is why it came out <laughs> like it did. Um, I mean, it's a film with Dennis Hopper and Bob Hoskins, and you know, and it was diabolically bad. I would probably say that Tomb Raider, this Tomb Raider, is the best adaptation we've had so far, despite the fact I didn't like it that much. Unless you're going for pure cheese, in which case, the original Mortal Kombat film. Um <laughs> Dave, what would be your? What would you say is the best game that's been adapted to the big screen? Um, the Angry Birds movie. <laughs> <laughs> Flux. Yeah, get. I mean, I I'd have said the same as Clive and gone with Racket Ralph. I'm trying to think of an actual adaptation film that I've <laughs> I seen can't think that, of any. that is good, and I am struggling. I've seen a few, just none of them have been good. <laughs> 
Um, I think your point about the story, Al, is, is, is a good one. I think, like, I don't think the first Tomb Raider had a particularly... I think it had a good story for, like, the first two hours, and then it went a bit off the rails, which, in a game, you can get away with it more if the gameplay's good, whereas the film is much more about the story's got to be good. Yeah, it just, it just <laughs> um, doesn't work as a direct adaptation. You have... Um, it's not a bad I had, fil- had a lot of issues with the story in the first game, so I can imagine it wouldn't. Like it, it's not it's not a bad film. It's just like it's solid, and it's just a little bit disappointing. Um, right. In ultimately, um, I'm interested to see when there'll be the first truly great uh, games adaptation. It's got to happen eventually. You would think. Um, the new Mario think- film. Who knows? Yeah. I think if you, gonna if, say if, sorry, if the, the, the first great one will be a a film that isn't a franchise that isn't triple A that is fairly yeah, probably. fairly short and allows you to explore it a little bit. I think that's where the first great one will come from. I can't think of mm. what that might be off the top of my head, but the ones that the ones that you play for their story are are often not truly kind of cinematic. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. They don't have, they don't have large casts. They don't work well on a big screen, but they, they, you know, they are they're fascinating or they're interesting in a, in a different way. And games just engage you in a different way from films and even books. I know that you know there are lots of great film and TV adaptations of books. Arguably, you know, in some ways, you've, you're taking a thing that could take. 10 12 hours to read and turning it into a one and a half hour film and both are great in their own in their own ways but both are passive both are you know that it's the story that the yeah, person exactly. that, has, that has written it is, is making is telling you with books there is there are, there are some different imaginative leaps that you're taking but you are actively experiencing and uh, and trying to understand puzzles and you know, lots of uh, lots of video games let you play them now in in lots of different ways, and you have a truly unique experience. And to to set out, I just I just don't I just don't know how how a film will manage to tell a story and have to remove gaming sequences and make it work because that's what you've got to do. Mm. Isn't it? You've got to take actual the actual game out of it and and just leave the yeah. story. And part of the Tomb Raider, you know, massive parts of your enjoyment of Tomb Raider, there's a story that hangs it together and is interesting in its own way, but it's hanging together problem solving and in and in the modern one also, you know, the massacre of thousands of Russians. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, in, interestingly enough, um, I believe it's next week we have the release of Ready Player One, the adaptation yes, of, of, a book. of a book about a computer game. Um so it'll be interesting to see how it deals with the game sequences in that, and maybe other films that are direct adaptations from games possibly learn something from Ready, Ready Player One, assuming that Ready Player One is any good. Um, but we'll see. Indeed. Right. right, did anybody else have anything else they wanted to talk about? I didn't mention beforehand if we had one or more each. I've got another one, but let's see what everyone else has got, and we'll figure it out. Flux, have you got anything else? Uh, no, I think I'm I'm one and done this time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, not for me, thank you. Cool. We're back in Sheffield. Clive, what else have you got? Awesome. Um, I've just got one game. I've played, been playing tons of stuff, so but this is another one that I've finished, which is Night in the Woods on the Nintendo Switch, which came out this year on the Switch, but came out last year on basically everything else. You can get it pretty much everywhere. Developed by Infinite Fall, Night in the Woods is a single-player 2D adventure game featuring a load of anthropomorphic animals. Um, I've read somewhere zoomorphic humans. I'm confused now as to which one to use. What's the difference? Uh, An anthropomorphic animal is an animal that's like a human, right? And then a zoomorphic human is a human that's like an animal? I don't know. I'm confused. Al, you're the English guy. Um, I'm not exactly (laughs) sure, actually. I mean, you put me under pressure as master of the language there. Um... Yeah, I'm not entirely failed, sure. Really. Yeah, I mean, massively failed. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, anyway, they're an- they're humans. I'm going to say they're more human than animal. They look like animals, but they don't act in any way like animals. So they are more human. If that helps anyone with their definition, um, you play as May, a 20 year old who's uh, just dropped out of college and returned home to Possum Springs. 
everyone is the same um, as it was, except, you know, she left a couple of years ago. I think she's dropped out in her second year. Everything's the same as it was, except all her friends now have jobs and responsibilities, and May, your character, is the only one that went to college. Um, and it's about, you know, going back and all this kind of feeling of nostalgia and everything being the same and a bit boring and everyone else has moved on and you're still a kid at heart, really. That's kind of the the basis of the story the game is split up in today's on the gameplay front and um, you wake up usually have a chat with mum downstairs go into town chat to people and eventually decide whether to hang out with um greg the fox or be the crocodile your friends um, there isn't all that much gameplay as such it's much more of a it's interesting that we were talking about this earlier it's more of a visual novel something that maybe would work as a film although it's almost too whimsical though there are some small mini games and dream sequences. Every time you go to sleep, there's like a dream sequence where you have to find four musicians to play a song in the back, in the background before you progress. Which in this kind of weird, dark, dreamy world, it's kind of quite different to the main game. Um, but I thought it was an, an interesting touch, and the sections don't take too long. One negative is that May does move quite slowly, so it can sometimes get a bit frustrating moving around that particular section. But I thought it was interesting. Um, the game looks super pretty and it's just overflowing with charm. It's got this, like I say, it is 2D, which is interesting for this kind of um, more talky adventure game. Usually that's, if it's 2D, it's more top-down, whereas this is a side-on view. You know, kind of like a 2D platformer like Mario, but without much platforming. Um, it's got real charm. The All the characters are fantastic. What really makes this game, though, is the... Um, the writing, which is absolutely brilliant. It's just you really connect with all the characters. They're all really, really relatable. It, all the stories are things you've heard before and you just really connect with May and her friends and as you discover their kind of difficulties that they're all going through, which are all very different but all very relatable. Um, at its core, it's a story about mental health, I think, and it does studies that in a very positive and interesting way. It's got lots of you know new things to say on it and it's. I just found it... a absolutely brilliant experience i absolutely loved it i think if i'd played it last year when it came out i mean it did come out this year on switch so i don't know where it lies but <laughs> it would have been on my top five but having said that i am so glad i got this on switch because i don't think it would have got its hooks on me as much on ps4 because it, i played it pretty much the whole thing handheld um, in bed and i just feel like that's the perfect way to play it with it being more of a book um, it is almost a bit like an interactive comic and um, it felt it felt much more suitable for me to be playing that, uh, you know, holding it while in bed or sat on a chair rather than playing it on a big screen. It almost took a bit away. I did play it on the big screen for like an hour and it, I don't know, it took a bit away from it for me. It just felt more cosy playing it in in its handheld form. And I think that's the, for me, would be the preferred way to play it. So I'm really glad I waited. And yeah, it's an absolutely beautiful game. You should really give it a go, maybe wait for it to go on. I mean, it's totally worth the asking price, but I'm sure it will go on sale at some point. I think it was cost me about 16 quid or something, and it's about eight hours long. It's actually a game that was started, uh, kick-started, I think, a few years ago. So, um, yeah, a real success. It's, yeah, a fantastic game and really unique. And not always, I usually am more into, as you know, gameplay games. Um, <laughs> this is much more of a story game, but I absolutely loved it. It's just got a really unique feel. It's very comforting to play and covers a lot of really interesting topics that haven't been covered and it just you know the protagonist is one that's not really been done in games as much you know a girl coming back from college i don't know it's just something that's and the way it's done is very unique i think i don't think it's been covered in this way before so really really good and i think everyone should check it out right okay excellent that sounds quite interesting actually um bit bit different to what we used to um clive it's hard to describe i'd recommend youtubing it <laughs> Right, okay. Um, Clive, I understand that the clocks went forward um, last night, uh, but it appears that my electronic devices haven't caught up. Um, oh. Can you tell me what time it is? It's plug time! Plug time. Um, at Stick Around Cast on Twitter. You've come up on me uh, unexpectedly there, Al, because I normally have the thing open to me. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't at the minute. So style it out, style it out. I'm going to go back to my bumbling self. I've got it, got it. Get it in the edit. Uh, stickaroundpodcast at gmail.com or stickaroundpodcast.com slash contact for a form if you'd rather fill out forms because filling out emails makes you feel like you're at work. Uh, that's a new <laughs> thing and I'm going with it. Stickaroundpodcast.com. We've also got articles. Um, at the minute we've just got top tens. I need to add some other stuff but been busy, been very busy. At Stickaroundcast on Twitter if you want to find out when episodes go up or 
occasional random other stuff. Slash Stick Around Podcast on Facebook if you want to have a regurgitated Twitter feed. Stick Around Podcast on Instagram if you want to look at pictures of us looking all good. Um, we're actually going to meet up soon, so hopefully we'll get some more pictures on there of a bit of a, yeah. you know, some shenanigans. Also, justgiving.com slash fundraising slash stick around if you like what we do and um, you want to throw a few shackles our way, don't throw them our way, put them on that page and um, help the homeless. It's um, raising money for shelter. We're setting a target of £200 for the year so um if you could help us reach that that would be awesome and finally a bit of a self-plug if um i'm released i've just released an ep i'm just doing another one which should go up today which means by the time you've got this podcast it'll be up um head on to the idleisle.bandcamp.com it's kind of folky punk i don't know what to describe it as um yeah have a listen that is all plug timed up Beep. wow that was quite that was quite professional despite the fact they dumped it on you quite unexpectedly. Well, I got the list up very quickly, you mm. see. <laughs> so quite professional. rescued it. Quite, yeah. I'll take that, to be fair. <laughs> right, I've never okay. been described as remotely professional, I'll say, well, yeah, Nice, nice. <laughs> I think... Quite professional will do. What are we back next for, Clive? I believe it's... Was it TV? Uh, was... it's, I think it will be TV, yeah, which I've been watching. Have I watched a few things? I feel like I have. Um, yeah, I think it's TV, then music again, isn't it? Because we did films. Yeah, We can always throw in a films. I think that's the kind of thing we can always throw in. But mm. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll aim for TV. And we'll cool. see what happens. Right. Um, James Flux would like to bid you adieu. Adieu. Um, Dave Paling would like to say sayonara. Yeah, sayonara. Yeah. Uh, Clive would like to just tell you, you <laughs> off your fuck. Fuck off. Um, please come back next time. Uh, thanks for listening. Remember to stick around. Stick, stick around. around. Arriba. Arriba. <laughs> Thank you all for listening. Rest assured that you have found The best podcast in the universe It's Stick Around